Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, and if you don't, there's one right in front of you, uh, let's turn to John chapter 10. Uh, Adam said this before, uh, the reason we hope you have your Bibles is not that, or at least hopefully not that the person up here speaking is untrustworthy with the Word of God, but you know that you having the Bible in front of you is your check against whoever's up here. Make sure we're, we're being right. So, so again, if you got it with you, hopefully, uh, John chapter 10 is where we're going to be heading today. We've already had a good chunk of it read by Maggie earlier, thank you. Uh, we're going to be looking at a little bit more than what you read, though. We're going to be looking at starting at verse 1 through verse 21. But just before we start off, does anybody ever hear, you ever know a boaster? Just somebody who loves talking about themselves, bragging about themselves. You know, maybe about how tall they are, or uh, the fact that Auburn's doing really well in basketball right now. Just, just boasting about things. Uh, well, one of my favorite boasters. Anybody here ever seen the movie Star Wars? I know it's a little bit obscure. Maybe not everybody's seen it. Uh, probably a fair few people have seen it. There's this guy in there, Han Solo, who's one of my favorite fictional characters of all time. But he is a boaster. When you first meet him, Luke and Obi-Wan are going to that cantina. They're looking to find a pilot, and they run into him. And he has a lot of things to say about himself, doesn't he? Those of you who, like me, have that movie almost committed to memory. Uh, he, he's bragging about how fast the ship is, how great it is. He's shocked that they've never heard of it before. He made some pretty big claims, but they weren't really all accurate. Over the course of that series, that, that ship gets broken down. They get chased down by the Empire, by the very ships that he said that he was bragging that it could outrun. You know, his bragging didn't really play out the way reality was. We're going to see here in this passage, Christ, not really boasting, but he's going to make some claims about himself here. And his claims are going to be accurate in his case, unlike Mr. Solo. So starting off, I'm just going to read our, our whole passage here, and we'll look at it in sections. Uh, but starting at verse 1 of John chapter 10, I'm just going to read the whole thing for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. 
I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon, and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So, as we go into this first part of this, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 together. So, just, just so we know for context, there is no break from the start of this chapter from the end of last one, where we left off last week. This is a continuing conversation between Jesus and the way they say it, the Jews, it's the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And this analogy, to really understand what's going on here, again, verses 1 through 6, we have to kind of understand what shepherding was like back then. A little bit different if you're familiar with shepherding now. It's not the same. So back then, if we look through, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to look through what shepherding was in the ancient Near East, which is the context they're in here, and we're going to see exactly what he's talking about in this figure of speech, this analogy. So look, at me, look with me at verse 1. He, he mentions this sheep pen. The sheep pen, in the ancient Near East context, it would be a construct in, the, uh, in or near a city, and multiple flocks would use one pen. Uh, it'd be multiple flocks, multiple shepherds. So, so that's why we would have to call out his own flock among a group of them. So it's a walled in, and when something's walled in, and there's a gate, that's the one way in or out, or at least that's the proper way in and out. Uh, someone going in any other way, over the wall, or something like that, that's somebody who's the thief or the robber. They're up to no good. So the only person who belongs is going to enter and exit through the gate. To get his flock out of the pen, because again, remember, there's multiple flocks inside one pen. To get his out, the shepherd would call them out by name, or maybe have a personalized whistle or a tune. Uh, that's, that is something that the sheep would recognize and respond to. And, just, uh, and, and those that don't know it, we see here in verses uh, 4 and 5, if you're looking, uh, those who don't know the voice will stay away. They have a sort of a stranger danger. They hear somebody's voice that they don't know. They're going to they're gonna stay away. They're not going to follow. My parents, this is my girl, so I'm, I'm one of four kids. And there was a time, it was many, many years ago, when we were all in the house. Most of my siblings, two of my siblings are older than me, so they, they left years ago. Um, but when we were all out, when it was time for dinner, uh, my mom had a particular way she would just she didn't have the patience to hunt us down we'd be out spread out over the neighborhood playing or doing whatever we were doing uh but she would when it was time to call us in for dinner she had a particular way and i, I can't even really repeat it because i can't do her voice but she would call our names in order michael karen emily robert she would call us and, and it was the same intonation same uh same tone every time because she had it down uh but that was her that was how we knew get home, it's time for dinner. She wasn't aggressive, she wasn't yelling or anything, but that was just, that was her way, and we knew it, we'd hear it and recognize it. My dad, the same way, whenever we were in a crowded place, and he was wanting to get our attention, whether to correct us or otherwise, he had a whistle that, I can't whistle, so I can't, I can't do that, but it was the same every time, and we would recognize it, it was, that was his, hey, pay attention, look at me, whistle, and if we didn't listen, he knew that we heard it, though, so, so in the same way, the shepherd 
over his sheep has this personalized way of communicating. And so he, he gives this analogy, and this analogy is talking about the shepherd having this relationship with the sheep. But look, look at verse 6. He gives them this figure of speech. They didn't get it. I'm just kind of imagining he's getting just blank stares back. Anybody here, if you've ever done uh, any kind of public speaking or uh, anything like that, and, and people, you just get blank stares, y'all doing a great imitation, so I'm imagining you've all done it before. Uh, you just get blank stares back at you, and I'm imagining that's, that's kind of what Christ was getting here in this situation. So, so since they didn't get it, he's going to have to explain himself. And so picking up, uh, look, at, look with me at verse 7, and through about verse 10, he's going to start explaining what he meant in this analogy. So he's given the analogy, now he has to explain himself because they didn't get it. So first off, look at verse 7. He says, I am the gate. He's identifying himself. He didn't do that the first time. I am the gate in, that, in this analogy. The gate is the, the passageway for life for these sheep. If the sheep are stuck inside the, the pen, they're going to die. They're going to starve to death. If they're stuck, for whatever reason, outside the pen, you know, sheep are very dumb animals. Um, if they're stuck outside the pen, they're at the mercy of predators and the elements. They're very, very likely to die outside the pen. And so this gate is literally the, the way of life for these sheep. Look at verse 8. He's going to give kind of a verbal slap to the face to the people he's talking to here, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He says, those who came before are thieves and robbers. You know, the, the very thieves and robbers he was just talking about just a second ago in this analogy. The, these are the people who have been leading uh, the people of Israel uh, religiously poorly. So just a slap to the face. They, the very people he's speaking to, are the thieves and the robbers. As we continue, uh, look with me at verse 9. <clears throat> He's going to give what's kind of a, an image of a, of a life in Christ, a life truly following Christ. Uh, look with me at verse 9. He says again, he repeats himself, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. So just, just a little screenshot. It's not, it's not everything there is, but a, just a part of what there is for us who follow Christ. Freedom. The freedom in following him, go, the language of going in and coming out. The, uh, the secure future, the salvation that we truly get. Uh, the language of uh, being saved and finding pasture. These are, these are words of, of life, of salvation. And he's contrasting himself. Verse 10, look at me, look with me, not look at me, you don't have to look at me. Uh, <laughs> verse 10, I mean you can if you want, I'm standing right here in front of you, but I know I'm huge. Uh, verse 10, contrasting himself, uh, the gate, the, pr the provision of life with the thief. What's the thief going to do? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Truly the opposite of, of what Christ has to offer. Uh, Christ offers abundant life, he says here. Divine, eternal life. Now that word divine is important here. Everybody has eternal life. I'm, I'm going to say that again because we don't always think about it that way. Everybody has eternal life, Christian or not. 
everybody has eternal life. Through Christ alone, only through this, this one passageway for life, do we get an eternal life in paradise with him, in heaven, with him and the Father. And we're going to see actually, in, in a few minutes, we're going to look at an image of that. So he's explained this part of it. Look with me at verse 11. He's going to start explaining it even further. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Anyway, we're just going to pause here. Now just wait a second. We're, we're intelligent people here. We're savvy. We pay attention to the way things are. We can recognize fake news when we see it, right? He just said he's the gate. Now he's saying I'm the good shepherd. Which is it? Is, can it be two different things? The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, he is the gate and he is the good shepherd. I'm going to explain in a second how that's, that's not, he's not contradicting. It's not fake news. Uh, yes, see. So, so I'm going to explain it right now, actually. A- back to the ancient Near East context of what shepherding's like. Shepherds are often in the fields, right? You remember the shepherds in the Christmas story? They were out in the fields with their flocks. Well, sometimes you're, you're out there, you're not able to be in the sheep pen that's there in the city that's already built, right? Sometimes they would have to make an impromptu sheep pen out in the field, and they would be nowhere near as nice, but they would make some form of wall, whether it be wood with wood or with stones, but, you know, you can't really make a gate on short notice. So what the shepherd would do, there would be a gap in this wall. And when it came time to, to rest for the night, the shepherd would literally lie down in that gap, be the literal gate in that sheep pen. So, so even though he's talking figuratively here, it's not contradictory. The shepherd, in, in many cases, is the literal gate for the sheep. He's functioning as the gate when they do that. So not, not fake news. Don't worry. I know we worry a lot about fake news. I don't know how this got so low. Okay. So continuing, look with me at verse 12. He's going to, again, contrast himself with somebody else. Instead, he was contrasting himself with the thieves and the robbers. He's going to contrast himself with what he calls the hired hand. Uh, so look, look with me at verses 12 and 13. He's going to talk about that. It says, the hired hand... Since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. The shepherd owns the sheep. The sheep are the shepherd's livelihood. That's how he makes a living. And that's the level of relationship that Christ considers with us. Because we are the sheep in this analogy we who follow him. Uh, these hired hands, I can completely identify with these hired hands. I have been that hired hand. Uh, both here and back home in Alabama, I have worked for grocery stores. And in both jobs, I have been in the position where I have access to a significant amount of money. And thank God it's, it's never happened to me yet. Uh, but if anybody had ever come up to me armed, and said, hey, give me the money out of the cash drawer. It's not my money. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lay my life down for Hy-Vee's money. I'll, I'll do respect to Hy-Vee. But uh, <laughs> I, it's not my money, so I'm, I, it's not worth my life. So if it, if it ever happens, just tip. If anybody here is looking to rob somebody, I mean, you'll get the money from me if you pull a gun on me at Hy-Vee. I, just, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> All due respect to Hy-Vee, they are my employers, they, I, I work for them, but it's not my money. Uh, 
So that's what's going on here with the hired hands. The hired hand doesn't have ownership of the sheep. So when danger comes, this wolf, in the example here, they're not going to, it's not their life on the line. It's not their livelihood on the line. They're just paid to take care of the sheep. But that's not the way the shepherd is. The shepherd, as he says here, uh, in a little bit he'll say, I lay my life down for the sheep. The hired hands won't do that. So look with me at verse 14. He's going to continue explaining about this, his shepherdness. Uh, look with me at verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. He repeats himself. I know my own, and my own know me. You know, we, so, so he not only knows us, which you know, he, he's God, he, he has that divine ability to know all of us, his sheep, but we know him. It goes both ways. We recognize his voice, so we're, gonna, we're definitely going to be coming back to that. If we're truly his, we know him. Verse 15, look with me. He, he's going to explain how well does he know us. So he knows us, so does that mean, just mean he knows my name? It goes even deeper than that. Look at verse 15 with me. He says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. You know, even it could take a whole sermon to, to unpack the, the Trinit Trinitarian teachings of God about, and what, what kind of level of relationship this is explaining. Just, but even just looking at it as a father-son relationship, that is a deep level of intimacy. Not even, not even diving into the, the Trinitarian aspects that they're all God, but the, the different aspects of God. But just the, just the language of father and son, that level of intimacy is the, the level of intimacy that the shepherd, Christ, has with his sheep, with us. And then the second half of that, verse 15, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. And this is something that just a little bit, a little short amount of time from, from this point is literally going to happen. Christ is going to literally lay his life down for his sheep. Look with me at verse 16. He's going to have a little bit of an analogy within the analogy here. Uh, let me just read the whole thing here. Uh, look with me, uh, verse 16. It says, But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now what we have here is a picture of the church uh, that is to come. that hasn't quite come yet when he's speaking here. But it's, it's something that's coming. It's something that we are participating in today. Uh, so just, just to explain this little analogy, the sheep pen he's talking about here is the, uh, the sheep pen of Judaism, the Jewish religion. Uh, the disciples and others have already come from this pen at this point in history. There will be others down the line who are going to come from elsewhere. That's, that's what he means. He says uh, there's sheep that are not from this pen. Y'all know who he's talking about there. Us, uh, Gentiles, anybody who's not uh, already uh, uh, Jewish is, is going to be a part of this shepherd's flock. It's not restricted to this one pen. This is ultimately a look at the united flock, one flock, one shepherd, this united flock under Christ. Look with me, uh, Revelation chapter 7, also from John. It's easy to find. It's, at, it's the last book. Um, so hopefully you can find it relatively quickly. But what we're seeing here, uh, John's been granted this vision from God of, of, of things to come. And part of that is seeing the united capital C church 
united in worship of God. We are all part of the capital C church, not just Leewood Church, that's the name, we capitalize the C, but we're, we're a part of a local church, lowercase c church, the global church, everybody, the united family of God, this uh, flock under the good shepherd, Christ. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, there's an image of it. Uh, John says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. We have this, this image that, praise God, we have it, of what we're going to be doing in the future. We're going to be a united church from all languages, all countries, all nations, united in worship of the Lamb, who is Christ. He, he's, he's hinting at that. He's, he's Here in John chapter 10, he's giving us a, a little bit of a preview of this is what's coming. This is what's going to happen. And praise God that we'll get to participate in that one day. Continuing, look with me, verse 17, and, and even on to 18. He's going to make some statements here of his, remember we talked about, I said at the beginning, him boasting. He's not really boasting, but he's saying things about himself that maybe if he said it the wrong way, it'd be boasting. He's not boasting. But, but these things he's going to say that are about his, his deity, his godhood. Remember, fully God, fully man. Uh, so verse 17, he says, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Lay down my life. So I can take it up again. First half of that, any one of us can do. That's not a God statement. We all can make the choice to lay down our life if we, for whatever reason, chose to do that. But can anybody here take it back after you do that? I, I'm not raising my hand so I can do that. That was just, that was just an example. Uh, nobody here can take their life back if they decide to give it up. That's a God alone ability. And, the, and so Christ, in saying that, is identifying himself like, hey, God. <clears throat> and verse 18, he, he, he kind of makes that, what I, what I just said was something that we could all do. He explains how that's not really something that we can all do. Uh, verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. And again, we, we could do a show of hands, we don't have to, but our lives can be taken from us. That wasn't the case for him. No one was able to take his life from him. He had to give it up. And that's what's going to happen in uh, John chapter 19, which is a little bit down the road, but just the exact quote is what happened at the moment of his death. He gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. The Romans weren't so powerful that they were able to forcibly take it from him. He gave it up. He allowed it to happen. It was only because he let it happen. This is the authority of Christ. We see Remember, he's fully God and he's fully man. He has uh, all the weaknesses that we have as people. He's hungered, he's thirsted, he, he hurts. But only he could give up his life because he was also fully God. And an important point here, this is what makes what he's doing not boasting. He's not bragging about himself. He's not saying, look at me, I'm so great like Han Solo. He is glorifying God in his greatness. 
Looking back at uh, John chapter 8, verse 54, we were there just a couple weeks ago. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My Father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. And then he said here in verse 18, he said, I have received this command from my Father. All of the praise, all of the glory, it's not about Christ himself. It all goes back to the Father. <clears throat> the last couple of verses here, look with me, starting at verse 19. We see the response. So, so this whole time, Jesus has been speaking, uh, a monologue of sorts. But verse 19, we're going to see the response of those who are listening to them, to him, excuse me. So verse 19, look with me. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So what we see here is a truth that's, that's true today, just as true today as it was the 2,000-odd years ago is when he said it. Christ's words are going to be divisive. There are going to be disagreements. Some people are going to think one thing about them. Some people will think something else about them. And there won't just be two responses. There'll be three, four, five different responses to the things that Christ said. That's going to be the case. The first response here was a response of disbelief. Right? This is the response of somebody who does not believe that Christ was the Messiah, that Christ was God. This first response was that he has a demon. He's crazy. And you know what? If Jesus wasn't God, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, then yeah, sure, demon, crazy. Because look at the things he's saying. How, somebody who's not God saying these things is insane. The second response was, look at the things he's saying. Look at the things he's doing. Does a demon act like, act like that? Does a demon, like we saw last week, heal the eyes of a man born blind? demon doesn't do that. Does a demon talk the way this guy talks? Does he sound really crazy? Does he sound out of control? No. So these people, verse 20, the people who responded that way in verse 21, are people that sound like they're on their way to belief. They're on their way to faith. So now the big question, now what? We've looked at this passage, we looked at what he had to say, what it means. We often ask about a passage, what does this teach about Jesus? That's really easy in this one, because he's talking for the vast majority of it. First off, he is the gate. He is the, the passageway to life. John 14, 6, just a few chapters ahead of us now. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the gate. What else is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd cares for his sheep, has ownership of them, has an intimate relationship with them. This relationship is demonstrated on our end by our knowledge of his voice. What else about the shepherd? He's willing to sacrifice himself for his sheep. And not only that, in his deity, 
he's able to take that life back after giving it up. Look with me at verse 3, at the beginning, back at the beginning of the chapter. I know it's been a little bit. At the, the second half of that verse, he says, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And, and right before that, he, he noted that the sheep hear his voice. This is huge. Ask yourself this question. This, isn't, this is rhetorical. Do you claim the name of Christ by calling yourself a Christian? You can just answer that in your head. If the answer is yes, there's a very important follow-up question to that. Do you recognize his voice? Because we're in a tough situation. We believe by faith. It's not by works. It's not something we can necessarily see. You know, it's ultimately between us and God, individually. But we can see evidence of it. Do you recognize his voice? That is an evidence of whether you truly have faith in God or not. Knowing his voice is how we know to follow him instead of a thief or a robber. There's tons of thieves and robbers out there. Just as there were back then, there are today. Right now, this morning, in this country and around the world, there are tons of people, big crowds, listening to false teaching, listening to teaching from thieves and robbers. These crowds aren't following this because they have this deep desire to, to not follow the truth. We think they mean well. But the problem is they don't know the word of God, the voice of the shepherd. They don't know it well enough to know the difference. Because a lot of these thieves and robbers, these false teachers, they can sound close to the real thing. Maybe just a little bit off. It's an important little bit off. So if, if we don't know the difference, we are allowing ourselves to be at risk of falling for those thieves and robbers and their teachings. Please, to know God's word, you know, we don't have Jesus standing right here talking to us. We can't hear his literal voice, but what we do have is this right here that you know, we hope we all have, the word of God given to us so that we know what he said. Even if we can't literally hear his voice, we can know what he said and know what the truth is so that we can know what the lies are. You got to know what the truth is to know what the lies are. The first psalm tells us how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Day and night. A few minutes ago, I asked the question, do you claim the name of Christ by calling yourself Christian? If the answer to so all of this just now was if you answered yes to that. If you answered no to that, then like these people who were here today, who were there that day listening to Christ's words, you got to have a response. you got to respond to what he had to say. You can respond in doubt. Say, oh, I don't believe he's God. I don't believe he's the Messiah. And then the response could easily be, he's crazy, or he was demon-possessed. Or you can respond with belief. Belief that he is God, was God, and, will continue, and continues to be God. You can see that his words 
and his actions are not those of a crazy person or a demon. So you can come to know him. And as a follower of him, we gain freedom. We gain our future security. We gain abundant life. And we gain the gift of this good shepherd who sacrificed himself for all of us. You know, we can recognize that, that this close relationship, this, this shepherd-sheep relationship, is all God's design. He designed, he designed us, he designed our world to have a close relationship with people. Now we, of course, look back at Genesis. We mess that up by sinning. Set up this divide that prevents us to have that kind of close relationship with him. But he still wants it. So something had to be done to restore that relationship, to take down that divide. And what did he do? He gave us this good shepherd. This good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep, for us. And so because he did that, the sheep, through him, the gate, the passageway to life, could be with the Father. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you for your love, your care for us. We thank you for the gift of Christ, the Good Shepherd. We thank you for giving your word to us in this written form, so that even though we weren't there the day you spoke these things, we can still know what you said. We can know what the truth is. We can know the things you teach. Thank you so much for your abundant gifts, your abundant mercies, even when we mess up. Please be with us, Father, as we need you. We ask these things, Father, in your name and for your glory.